0: Hello, everybody. This is Brian Buford, and I am here with my partner.
1: Hello, everybody. This is Mary Walter.
0: And we are excited today to have a conversation with Melissa Wong. Uh, Before we get into Melissa and her background, just a little bit about our podcast, we are uh, privileged to have real and inspired conversations uh, with successful leaders, um, specifically about leadership and teamwork. And we are, at least as much as we can, unentited and real and live so that we can have a free flow dialogue. And we also try to focus on a practical application and actually the experiences and the lessons and the insights learned from the leaders that we speak. So thank you for joining us today. I will turn it over to Mary that will give a brief intro uh, about Melissa, and then we can get into into the interview.
1: Wonderful, Brian. Thank you. Well, I am just thrilled to have Melissa Wong with us here today. Um, One of my favorite people, one of my favorite entrepreneurs, one of my favorite leaders, and someone who I consider a dear friend. So Melissa is the CEO and co-founder at Retail Zipline. She's also a member of the Forbes Technology Council. Now, Melissa, prior to running a tech business, has significant retail background. She spent quite a bit of time at Gap, Inc., in Old Navy, leading communications, and that's where Melissa and I first connected and worked together there, and I was lucky enough to have her as part of my team. Prior to that, Melissa had experience at Horn Group in public relations, so she brings a significant background of communications and of retail and business experience to her work, and has now founded her own company as the CEO of Retail (laughs) ZipLine.
2: Melissa, we are just thrilled to have you with us. Welcome. Thanks. And thanks for having me. It's uh good seeing you again.
1: Wonderful. We I I'm really thrilled. I think this is going to be a great time together. But first tell us a little bit about your background, Melissa, maybe a little bit about where you grew up, some of your background and experiences, and then uh tell us about your current role.
2: Yeah. So I think you covered some of it, um some of the you know career arc, but I think what was interesting um, for me is that even when I was a little kid, um, I actually never really knew what I was going to do. Right. So um, my parents would always say, like, you know, what are you going to do when you grow up? Or my friend's parents. And I never really had an answer. And I always thought that was kind of interesting. I think it's like a testament to my parents that they never really pushed me to have an answer. But then it's also um, looking back to where I am today. It is interesting to really feel like I never actually had that actual path. Um, And here here I am. So, um, but I did grow up in the East Bay uh, in California. And then, um, you know, did elementary school, high school there, went to college in Maine at Bates College, Uh, did an interdisciplinary major between um, economics and psychology, and then double majored in studio art. I think another thing that shows, I wasn't really sure, you know, what I was meant to do or supposed to do. And then Mary to your point went into public relations and then joined the GAP where I spent a decade in store communications and um, store operations, really trying to figure out how do we give um, stores the information uh, they need in a way that um, helps support their work so that we can get better execution. And, you know, Mary, You are saying, you know, my time at Gap, I remember you were my first head of stores and it was, you know, made a pretty big uh, impact on me. And a lot of the things that we talked about was um, how do we get people information in digestible chunks so that they don't feel overwhelmed and that the gulf rate isn't so big. And I actually remember sitting down with you during my first holiday at Old Navy and we had these like huge binders of information. We tried to make them really fun. Like I think we all watched Elf as a team right (laughs) but um you you come on saying like isn't there a better like how can we make this so that they don't have to read through this huge binder for two hours right and in the middle of holiday how can we make it so that our teams remember what they have to do without um being bogged down by a lot of this back office work so um mary i think your conversation with me when i was in my early 20s Um, was the beginning of a long series of conversations with many different heads of stores um, and many brand presidents will always ask the question, how can we get better execution from our teams, right? Um, Which, Brian, I think to your point, goes into like leading teams. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I found throughout my 10 years um, at the company was, people weren't doing the work that we they were being asked to do, not because they didn't want to or because of ill intent, but because there was just too much information in too many different places. So, people didn't understand the priority, whether it's putting up the marketing or re-merchandising or opening or closing stores, right? Um, and they didn't know where they needed to go to get the information they needed to do their job because payroll was tight. So, um, that you know, process, like through a decade of trying to figure out what are the processes, what are the technologies, what are the tools to support stores and how they executed led me to realize there wasn't a good solution. And, um, after conversations with a lot of other retailers, um, I realized no one in the industry had a good solution, um, to streamlining communications. And so I set out, um, took the biggest risk of my life and, um, set out with uh, a co-founder that I met through a friend of a friend. And then we, that's how we started. Retail told the It's
1: such a great story. I, I have so much there. I'd like to talk to you more about, but one thing is it's interesting to me, to me that you never knew what you wanted to do and then ended up taking so many paths that were a little bit unorthodox. Like you know, mm-hmm. combining those majors that normally you wouldn't see together. And I just wonder if, you know, your parents not pressuring you to, to pick a lane and you being open to new experiences. You know, I think that kind of curiosity and being willing to follow your interest, I see that throughout your life. And then it seems <laughs> to me that that also allowed you to see this opportunity that so many others missed. Do you feel like that, am I reading that right? Your parents kind of allowed you to have that freedom and then you allowed it for yourself, um, maybe even more importantly.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I do see that. I see, I think that, you know, my parents, when I think back to what they instilled in me, it was like hard work, right? Um, like kind of like being, playing to your strengths, but also um, making, sticking to what you commit to, even the hard things. And it's interesting because, and I, I think that's developed in the best way, right? I think where I am today is the most surprising and I guess the biggest gift I could have received from my parents. And in a way, I think that that has shaped the way that I also try to lead um, our team, right? Like everyone brings something individual and very gifted, and you want to support people in their own strengths. Um, and you also want them to. Work through things that are hard because there's always going to be a point in what you do where it is going to be incredibly hard, and it's just like, how do you persevere and take the baby steps through that? So, mm-hmm. I think it, for me, Mary, you bring up something like very insightful. But I think for me, my personal leadership has actually, actually did start with my parents.
1: Yeah, start um, letting your curiosity lead you. I mean, what a great entrepreneurial mm-hmm. mindset, and and I've seen that in you not just in your role as CEO and starting Retail Zipline, I think you always have that. And we're coming up with kind of creative, innovative things to do. And the other thing I just want to highlight for our listeners that I think is so meaningful in what you've said is sometimes when I'm in conversations about change management, we're talking about inspiration or motivation, and those are all very important things. However, uh, what you did was took a very real pragmatic Business-oriented approach um, to this problem and identified it, and it's it's so real, mm-hmm. and oftentimes that gets overlooked in ter- in people look at kind of the sexy, shiny, glamorous stuff like we're going to do something big, we're going to have free food, we're going to have a ping pong table. And really, the reality is, if that employee is having to work through a complicated system or too much information, or not delivered in a way that's actionable, I think they're not going to be able to do it no matter how motivated you are, you can't do anything with it. Um, I, you know, I remember working in a consulting role after, you know, I started my business with a retailer, and they brought out it was like five giant binders. They were the biggest <laughs> binders I've ever seen, like five inch binders. And they were just full of policy and procedures that they were so proud they had mm-hmm. written. And you, who has time to read all of that stuff? Nobody would ever read all of that. So I, I think you found a really real problem there to fix. And I, I do think it's just as important to look at the kind of practical experience as it is to look at touching the heart and the enthusiasm and mm-hmm. inspiration as well.
2: Yeah. And I think they go hand in hand too, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like for me, and I think like, you know, as head of store, uh, you know, leading stores, like, you know, that people want to feel invested in the brand, right? And they want to know that the work that they do has impact and meaning, right? And and be inspired. But if you're weighed down by all this policy and procedure, or you can't even find it because the search doesn't even work, you're really like draining people of their full potential, like right out of the gate, because you're not setting them up for success you know, I think one of the things you see the most in the field is, you know, you have district managers, they're driving around, they're on mobile devices, they're trying to access leadership and accountability and coaching information, and, you know, they can't log into the networks, and they can't use the search, and they just sit in their cars, and, um, like, you know, like one district manager, like, I just cried in my car, so, you know, from a leadership perspective, how do you set people up to give them context for their work, give them good tools to work with, um, and, and that's the practical part of of the tools part of the uh, how do you lead and inspire.
0: Melissa, tell us about a founding retail zipline and what what was your inspiration? And did that inspiration did it come in one moment? Did it grow over time? Just tell us about that process and what really inspired you to, to take this this leap.
2: So um, I think what's funny is, uh, I guess it wasn't so much inspiration as it was frustration.
0: <laughs> so okay. just
2: having so yeah. many conversations with um, leaders like Mary and, and others throughout the business, having the same question, how can we make for, for um, teams' lives easier through um, more streamlined communication, more targeted, more personalized, more consumerized? And just having those conversations for over a decade um, made just, you know, it was like, how can we change this? Like, it can't be this way. And I think seeing retail evolve, like the way that consumers shop had evolved so much, but the way that retailers operated hasn't. It's like, it shouldn't have to be this hard. And so the fact that it was that hard um, was, you know my inspiration or frustration that built and then I was like someone has to do it and I was looking around and I was like oh uh, I don't know no one's no one's raising their hand so I might as well try
1: will you tell us a little bit about how retail zipline works what it what does your product do
2: sure so um, we're a communication platform um for retailers or you know essentially headquarters with distributed brick and mortar locations so that could be grocery that could be um also gas stations, et cetera and what we do is that we provide a platform that sends communication and tasks down to stores and it structured it structures it in a way that really supports the way they work so there's like uh, you know messages for reading we automatically um you know kind of scrape all of the tasks and create a da- daily to-do list and we have a calendar for planning and then we also have a repository for information like the policies and procedures that you're talking about so um, we're really the operational backbone. Um, for, I think at this point, about over 32 retailers, mm-hmm. including, you know, Gap Inc. So mm-hmm. Gap Inc, all brands and all locations, domestically and internationally using us, our smallest customers, Tom's Shoes, um, but we really run the gamut um, with other brands like Lush, Lululemon, et cetera. Um, and we, you know, what we are maniacally focused on is really um, being in support of stores and helping retail operate more effectively. Mm-hmm.
1: Incredible. Mm-hmm. I, I sure wish this would have been around when I was leading
0: stores.
1: I guess I got to go back to work. <laughs>
0: but I, I got to tell you, I, even though I worked in retail for nine years and I, I trained as a psychologist and I focus on leadership development that I even know just in the work I did in retail I, after hearing two sentences about your company, I'm like, Oh gosh, there is a need. The value proposition is clear mm-hmm. because I, you can remember so many conversations as we were rolling out training with leaders in the field about the importance of clarity and being concise and trying to understand where my really, really, really important stuff fits in the 872 things that they have to do this morning.
1: It's a complicated business. And I think is, in any yeah. kind of business that's geographically dispersed. Where you're trying to drive excellence and execution and where you're trying to drive consistency for the customer, I mean it, it, that's such a challenge, and I think your solution does that for them. You know Melissa, I'm so curious you'd worked in a pretty big company and, and went to start your own. What surprised you about starting a business for those you know we got a lot of people listening who are dreaming about starting their business someday. What was a surprise for you?
2: Um, I just I think it has to do with that we're all more resilient. And adaptable than we think. Like Mary, I think you you pointed it out. Over 10 years at you know one of the largest retailers in North America, specialty retailers in North America, to starting out in a team of two, just kind of those competencies that you built throughout your life really set the foundation for the potential that you can be. And if someone had asked me a year before I left Gap, I would have said, No way! Like there was no way that any of this would have happened. and so I think, you know, the ability for us to learn and grow as individuals, um, myself, as well as what I see on my team, has been the biggest surprise.
1: You've surprised yourself with your success, I think.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think so.
1: That's <laughs> no,
0: no. You know, Melissa, in one of the interviews that I watched online, the interviewer asked you what were the biggest challenges starting your business and then what were the biggest challenges now? And, I was expecting you to say to the first question, like, you know, being undercapitalized or lack Mm -hmm, of staff, mm -hmm. but you said fear, which I thought was really insightful. What fear or fears did you face in starting your business?
2: I just think fear, there's so much. I mean, it's especially applicable now, but fear of the unknown, right? There's so many directions that something can can take, and you can just get overwhelmed. I think people can relate the most at this day and age, like, you just get overwhelmed and kind of crushed by your fear of what if and the worst case scenarios. And I think that goes back to, you know, my parents ingraining, but like, just keep on going. So, um, I had fear of, you know, failure for sure of, um, you know, being destitute of like eating cat food and mm-hmm. just uh, talking to my cat. Cause we're working from home, right. Just driving myself crazy. And none of that happened. And I, that really taught me an important lesson, which is like, you can't listen to your fear that much. And it also makes, made me a little bit sad because I thought if I hadn't had this much fear, you know, how much faster could we have gone? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, how much more pleasant of a ride it could have been. We all have to deal with our own insecurities and fears and just acknowledging it and, and knowing that it, that is what it is. And that's not reality always uh, is what's helpful to me.
1: I, I can't help but think, you know, so many of my coaching clients, we talk, either about fear or about anxiety or worries, you know, is overcoming that and moving to action. And that's what you managed to do. Mm -hmm. But it also is interesting because your fear sometimes can be an enabler, you know, that fear of eating cat food of motivating, right? (laughs) Get you going. (laughs) When you think about how you lead today, Melissa, as a business owner or as a team leader, how have you changed the most? Um, What's different in your style or your approach?
2: Yeah. So I think, you know, going back to the fear factor in the beginning, I think in the beginning, Mary, I felt like I had to be a certain person or a certain way, right? And so I was trying to emulate behaviors or mannerisms of um, Sabrina, who was the CFO of Gap at the time, because I was like, who is the woman leader, like, in the, that, the most recent to me that I feel like I should be like? Um, and that, I think that was based off of the fear of not feeling... Uh, enough or not feeling like I had a roadmap, and you know, over the past um, couple years, how I've grown the most is I feel like yeah. I've really leaned more into my authentic self. And instead of looking to others to say um, what should I be like, what is acceptable, what is not acceptable, I've more gone internally and said like, how do I want to lead, and how do I want to show up, and um, if I have fears around it. How can I manage that with my team um, versus trying to be someone I'm not? So. It's
1: very powerful. Thank you for sharing that.
0: Melissa, well, so what is different about leading team uh, your team in, uh, or teams that in the tech industry?
2: So... Um, I think familiarity with, uh, I mean, there are different, lots of different processes and departments in tech than there are in retail, right? Like product is, it's very different um, in retail than it is in tech. Um, I think actually fundamentally leading is kind of the same in both, right? Like you want to rally people around a common vision and value. You want people to feel like they're making an impact every day uh, to something that matters to them. I think the biggest change is the how, right? So how we work is very different. We use Slack a lot, we use a lot of different technology tools. Um, we have a lot uh, of, different <laughs> of different ways that we work, uh, especially since we're a fully distributed team. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of leading, the mannerisms are the same, but the how and the way that we operate is just different.
0: And how big is your team?
2: Around Around 50 at this point. Okay. Speaking of those fifty people, I know you've created a strong culture
1: at Zipline, and that's something Brian and I spend quite a bit of our working time doing—is helping teams to create a culture that will drive terrific results. So, can you tell us a little bit about what is your culture like there? How would you describe it, and how did you go about starting from scratch, creating a culture that you wanted?
2: Yeah, so our culture—I guess I like to describe our culture um, as. Uh, I wanted to really have a retail culture and a tech company. Um, And because, you know, and Mary, I think think especially like a stores culture, right? Mm -hmm. Where people really recognize others. Um, There's a lot of fun, right? And and there's also that accountability. Um, I think our culture was created from the value and the kind of like our origin story. So our culture has a lot of empathy Right? And that's empathy for our end user, like someone said we had like empathetic design. We have empathy for the store managers. We have empathy for the communications people. We have empathy for for the VP of operations who has to go fight the good fight with other department leaders to tell them why they can't, um, you know, send a gazillion things down to stores. And so we really have functioned with kind of like the lens of empathy for end users, empathy for each other. Um, and we always say like teamwork makes the dream work. So it's, uh, you know, us together as a team and we see our customers actually as a part of our team as well. So, um, just doing, um, making strides together to help retail be a better place. So very values driven, very mission driven, I guess you would say.
1: Yes. And, um, also very authentic, you know, sometimes I think people are trying to have this aspirational vision that isn't really true to their values or to the company, as you said, the origin story. And, and it's so, when you talk about empathy, you're right. It's built into everything from the day you started. Um, And it it's so critical to the business. So I really like that. It, it It reminds me to go back a little and talk about your authentic self. You know, that was a meaningful moment. I thought when you talked about switching from your leadership style, being based on someone else to being based on you internally. And how you came to that. And what I heard in your answer was a little bit, how do you find that authentic self? One thing I heard was a little bit of reflection. And it's one thing I find leaders struggle to have enough reflection time because we just go, 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 go. Um, And I think one Mm -hmm. thing I would take out of your answer is in order to really be an authentic leader, you have to have a little bit of time and reflection to think about where you're going. So you're not just replicating Mm -hmm. old habits or following somebody else. Do you agree with that? And do you have any other tips about what worked for you in finding your style?
2: Yeah, no, I do agree with that. And I think, you know, even now I still really struggle with uh, the balance of how do I react? How reactionary am I as a leader? Because it all kind of goes down down the hill, right? So Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of spin. um, And I think that that reflection point is really key and kind of holding ourselves accountable. Um, and understanding the, the impact that we're having. Um, in terms of carving out space, you know, for it's been very difficult recently, I think, to do that, um, but it, probably it's more critical than ever. But, you know, a lot of times for us as a team, we, we and I try to do it myself and, you know, try to do more of it, but go for walks, give yourself a little bit more of like the environmental context shake, um, and sometimes I think it's just following your gut, oddly because um, there's something that sometimes you know that something doesn't feel right, and I think a lot of times early on I would ignore that, but over time I've kind of tested that gut feeling, and it's been right most of the time. So it's just like learning to trust myself in that, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 give that space once you feel that gut feeling either like sinking or or elation, like give it space and maybe that lets off the time to really sit and think like, okay, what is, is this the state of the state?
0: So you obviously have a, a great partnership and a successful partnership with mm-hmm. your co-founder, Jeremy Baker. How did you meet? How did you come together? And, and what have you learned works for you two in leading uh, your team at Zipline?
2: I met Jeremy through a friend of a friend. Uh, the friend I had been complaining to was like, no one, uh, my head of stores keeps asking me for a way to streamline <laughs> communication and nothing exists. And my friend was like, well, let me introduce you to a couple people. And um, Jeremy was one of those people. And one of the things I think that has always worked with Jer and I um, is that our values are very similar. Like we really want to help others right? And we definitely have a lot of differences in how we think about things and our approach and and sometimes our communication style. But what's really helped us be effective is knowing that our values are very in line, um, giving each other benefit of the doubt um, for our intentions. And um, I think our co-founding relationship has actually worked better than um, other companies at our age of growth particularly because we're actually not the same. We're, we're very different. Even though we have the same values, we are very different. Um, and so we kind of hold each other in check in a lot of ways and we balance each other out. And so, um, you know, an old president had said, talked about healthy tension. And I think that that's important for us to make the right decisions as a business yeah. and grow together. And we have to be, Jer and I have to be okay with having healthy tension and knowing that we're having the discussions for the best result of the business in our team. Um, but, but it's been hard sometimes.
0: I have some experience with uh, organizations with two founders or two uh, leaders, and how do you prevent uh, the folks underneath you getting caught between the two of you?
2: Yeah, that's something that we've actually learned and um, had to learn as companies grown, right? Because it's beginning, everyone's privy to all conversations. Um, Now, we we working together for so long, we actually know each other's hotspots pretty well, um, and we will kind of take it off the table and raccoon some topics.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: I think that there are also ways of working subconsciously subconsciously that we've ingrained um, with each other, uh, either like written, and and we are aware that our differences may cause sin. So we have different channels to resolve those conversations. that will have an impact to
0: everyone else. You know, what you said makes a lot of sense. I was just having a conversation with someone I know and have worked with that, um, unfortunately their partnership didn't work out. And Mm -hmm. as we talked through it, it was because of they have very different values. And what you're saying is you can have maybe different personalities or different styles or hot buttons, but if you have the similar values, that's a really strong foundation.
1: Yes. It also strikes me as a great exercise if you're starting a new business to with your with a co-founder to sit down and and think yeah. through ten different scenarios of all that's going to go wrong and how you could prevent it <laughs> because it's yeah. it's often the same things like you said it's people misunderstanding direction or pitting you know one against the other or you know, trying to understand where the power rests, so clear lines of roles and responsibility is one thing that I see come up quite often in this kind of situation. That's one thing you, Jeremy, I think have had from the beginning too that's helped.
2: Yeah, we're both motivated by very similar things, and that motivation Mm. has shaped our values and who we are, Um, and, and ultimately through all the ebbs and flows of the business and all the different changes, like Knowing that we're driven by the same kind of like North Pole has, even if it's blurry at times, right, we're still kind of, we're at least within, you know, striking distance of this general landing pad (laughs) forward. Terrific.
1: Terrific. Well, you know, when I think about your leadership, I don't see a lot of mistakes, but with the benefit of twenty twenty hindsight, Melissa, mm-hmm. can you tell us about a misstep that you made with the team, and um, what was that, and what what do you do differently today?
2: Yeah, I think actually, um, the biggest misstep I see with myself is not acknowledging the different stages of growth as a company, mm-hmm. and so that can come down to communication and processes and management. Uh, I always feel like I'm lagging behind in how I have managed because no, I think it goes back to uncertainty. The past is always certain it's it's there and you know what it is, but um, as we've scaled the team, sometimes I've operated from the stage of growth before, like 10 Mm -hmm. people before, 10 people before that. Um, And I think that has been my challenge as a leader. How do you get out of that? Thank you. You know, for me, I think it might just have to be accepting that we're continuing to scale and grow, right? And just, it's a great thing. Um, And I also, so just acknowledging that and then also bringing other people in, Mm -hmm. right? To either hold myself accountable or help me build the processes that um, I'm not necessarily an expert at, right?
0: You've worked with a lot of leaders and seen a lot of leaders over the course of your career. Who is the best leader specifically in terms of team leadership that you've worked with?
2: Yeah. So, um, Mary actually knows her. So my old boss, Kim Tarantino, (laughs) um, was one of the best team leaders. And I worked with her for Mary, gosh, you know, that, um, I, she, I reported into her until she left the company. So for almost 10 years. Um, and one of the things that, I think made her so great as a leader is that she just really had this special knack of pulling people's actual selves, um, like bringing it forward and getting people to work together in a really collaborative way and driving results. And there was something about like Kim really cared about the person. I know I'm sure she she still does. She cares really about the individual, the impact, um, and is able to foster this group dynamic that was really productive and healthy. It gave everyone a lot of clarity and a lot of meaning. Um, And I think she was truly like a, just like a great um, team leader.
1: Fantastic. Uh, Kim is at Sephora now for Mm -hmm. our audience and just a terrific leader. And and you're right, Melissa, when I think about Kim, I think of enthusiasm, optimism. I mean, I've seen her in Mm -hmm. very difficult situations and never lost her belief that um, anything was possible and could just rally the team to get it done. I mean, just a terrific leader. That's wonderful. You know, one thing I forgot to mention in, in your bio is that you're a mom. So very important part of, uh, of your accomplishments. And, you know, many of us struggle with kind of having balance, especially in these big roles as a CEO of a startup. Can you tell us what works for you? in in feeling I, I kind of hate that word balance but in feeling good about all parts of your life <laughs> so what works for you anything that you found that doesn't work
2: yeah so okay so definitely there's some things that de- that doesn't work so just for context my baby is eight months old so uh it's very fresh in the brain what mm. didn't work was actually uh, I went back to work part-time um for the last month that definitely did not work um (laughs) and and why i mean you can probably imagine i just ended up actually just working full-time right um with you know uh, half-time hours or it was very stressful um so i would definitely would not encourage that um i would definitely recommend people really look at what's realistic with that but um what has worked for balance, I think, relying on 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 others, like my community, like my parents, too, um, knowing that I can't do it all myself, um, understanding and really getting real with myself about, like, what are the meaningful parts of Sophie, uh, of, of Sophie's kind of, like, um, day-to-day life that is meaningful to me, so that when I look back, I know I can say, like, at least, you know, what's really important to me was to have at least like a half an hour at night where we read stories and, and i stuck to that so um that has helped me at least not have as much guilt
1: mm-hmm.
2: um it, it's also helped that we're a totally distributed team so <laughs> yeah. that is something that you know not a lot of people can take advantage of but it's helped me actually know that the hours that i spend are really productive because i'm not commuting right mm-hmm. um, i'm always doing something that is either like. Family-oriented or work-oriented, family or work um, and it's it's easier for me in some ways to balance those two things.
0: Well, you are you're, you're ahead of the curve because for our listeners that may be listening to this in the future. It's June right now, and we've all been distributed teams. Ninety-nine percent of us over the past three months. So, and I don't think we will be going back to normal anytime soon. No. Yeah. One
1: thing I liked that you said was sort of letting go of guilt and focusing on what's most important to you, I thought that was really important too. I, I talked to a lot of parents of young kids who are doing big jobs. And I, I do think you've got to decide what's important to you and not let that be mm-hmm. external. So sometimes they'll say, oh, I feel so guilty because I'm not doing the bake sale or I'm not doing this or I'm not doing that other thing. And I, like, I'll tell you, I was in a travel job when my kid was little and I never saw that anybody at mm-hmm. that school for like, six years because but to your point, I always made sure to do the things that were really important to the two of us. Now later on Mm -hmm. when I have more time, then I could go get involved and do a lot of things. But um, you know, I did I didn't let myself feel guilty about it. I had other things that were really important that were commitments to me. And so I I think for parents to let go of that guilt because what I see sometimes people do is they end up saying yes to things that aren't important to them Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. don't bring meaning to them either. So they'll end up doing an activity for the school that has no connection to their child. And so now they're working and then they're working for the school yes. and they don't see their kid. You know, it's, it's crazy. So I think letting go of that guilt and, and deciding what's most meaningful to you. I thought that's a real gem out of this time together. Thank you.
0: And I think also that the, the quality of the interaction with our children is more important than the quantity, right? 30 high quality minutes is better than, distributed attention over a period of four hours mm-hmm. so yeah. you know. mm-hmm. what about advice for would-be entrepreneurs so someone that is excited they have an idea they can see a value proposition or a need and customers that that can benefit from that value what advice do you have for them for taking the leap and taking that risk
2: move forward I think um take that first step yeah. right like it's not going to I think you know for a while I had read a lot about entrepreneurs and Silicon Valley and there just seemed to be this like huge aha moment right where all of a sudden you wake up and you're like ah I'm just gonna do it and um for me the process was so different it was like I was like holding on to the edge of a pool of the pool lift and Finger by finger, you know, I was just, like, letting go one at a time based off of more information from friends or family or, you know, talking with, um, you know, investors or doing, like, more market research. And one by one, I was just, like, letting go of my fingers until I was just, like, floating the pool. Um, So I, you know, the advice that I would give is that the process and the journey looks so different for everyone.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. And, um, but just taking baby steps. Um, is the most important thing just to moving forward.
0: Let's uh, wrap up our interview with some kind of short, quick, uh, rapid fire questions just to end. And um, we'll start with uh, the, the best part of your job and what's the most challenging part of what you do. Uh,
2: okay, so the best part of my job, hands down is my team, our users, like improving the lives, um, of so many people in stores, that's just like the best part, just being able to, yeah. to take part in that, um, the most challenging part, I think as a leader is that everyone expects you to know the answer. And sometimes you don't, <laughs> sometimes yeah. it's in collective wisdom. And, and that has been hard for me because i I don't know the answer. You have to figure it out together.
0: What's one thing that you were really proud of accomplishing over the past year professionally?
2: So we um, did a fundraise around this time last year. Um, And I think that, and so I'm the most proud of that because it was something that I was uh, not as familiar with coming from retail, right? And we ended up with um, fantastic investors, so, um, and Serena Williams as an investor. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, that the reason that I'm the most proud of that is because it was the most challenging for me, it was the least used muscle that mm. I have. And, um, and so that's, you know, I think that's what, uh, why I'm so proud of that in particular.
0: And she and her team approached you, not the other way around, right?
2: That is correct. That's yeah. correct.
0: That is awesome. What is the best advice you've ever received and also the worst advice?
2: So the best advice is just ignore fear. It's around fear and failure. Just ignore that part um, and keep on going. And the worst advice I ever received is that leaders are like light bulbs. You can just screw them in and out and it will make a difference. Um, I have seen throughout my life, (laughs) throughout my life that is totally not true. And in our company, that's also very not true.
1: So. That's the worst advice. Thank goodness you didn't listen to that person. Uh,
0: What is your favorite thing to do in your time away from work?
2: So uh, right now it is chasing Sophie, who is learning (laughs) to crawl and just spending time outside hiking with her and my partner.
0: What is the best book on leadership? or could be magazine, maybe a blog, whatever, but the best thing on leadership that you've read and really resonated in the past couple of years?
2: Yeah, I've actually been looking on, um, so there have been a lot of books around like tech leadership and building great companies. I've actually, um, would actually love advice from you guys on what the books, uh, best books are that you feel that have, help people be authentic leaders. I've been looking for um, some more recommendations um, for lead- general leadership and not just in tech. So do you guys have actually any, any thoughts or recommendations of yours?
0: What, Mary, what do you got?
2: Well, you know, I, I think with authentic
1: leadership, that does require a level of vulnerability. It does, because you're, you're showing your true self, and, and that makes us a little bit vulnerable. And so I think Brene Brown's work, yeah is somebody that I would look to in that category. I think she's done some terrific work. And um, you know her company now has a range of offerings. So you can hear her on her podcast. You can uh, look at a blog. You can look at her uh, books themselves. But I, I think she's got a lot to offer in that category of authentic leadership.
0: And I would say, very much agree with Benny Brown. Um, Bill George, who's the former CEO of medtronic and professor at harvard business school wrote a book on authentic leadership and i find i think he brings something very different than brandy brown because of just his background um but found him to be uh, real great advice and some kind of interesting models and frameworks
2: i will actually check them both out thank you
0: You should also read Mary's book if you haven't, but uh, be, the, be the Best Boss. Is that what it's called, Mary? Is that correct?
1: That is what it's called, but you know, it's yeah. really for new leaders, so I think Melissa would be kind of bored, but sure.
0: <laughs> you know,
2: I, no, I'm sure I, there I, are pearls of wisdom. Knowing your leadership, Mary, yeah. I'm sure there are many, would, many, pearls of
0: wisdom. Yeah, I would disagree. I think I, I actually was read just a section of it the other day, and I think it's just as applicable. And I, I must admit, hearing you talk about fear, Melissa, I don't think that fear ever goes away fully after leading a business five, 10, 15. I mean, I was even thinking about some of the fears that I have as an independent practitioner and yeah. that sometimes those things that are relevant early on still are relevant in different ways later on down, down the line. So.
1: And what a great muscle to build, you know, to, to yeah. kind of face your fear and do it anyway. I mean, I just yeah. think what a great muscle to build doing that every single day. Yeah. Yeah. Terrific.
0: Any last comments or or advice on on leading high-performing teams and leading those teams in the context of a growing uh, small company?
2: Yeah. I mean, for me, what I feel has been the most important is really just, like, listening to people, right? Like, Mm -hmm. meeting people where they're at. And you can't lead in a tone-deaf way. You can't lead unless you know what your people think, what they feel. Mm -hmm. and where they're at um it's not just saying something because then that can come across as tone deaf and not really from a place of understanding so for me the biggest part is really understanding who works for you what are they motivated by um what do they need uh and that is kind of like you know where I'm at in my learnings (laughs) at this moment
1: I was just advising a group um you know as we were talking about being in lockdown and and as well, we're dealing with some unrest in the country right now. And people are in a very mm-hmm. dark place in many ways. And, you know, what a t- great time to do town halls and to really listen. And, yeah. and it goes back to that fear conversation as well, because I had leaders say, well, that's, you know, if you said to someone, what's your experience like as an employee here? What's your experience like as a black employee here? What's your experience like yeah. as a woman employee here? Um, whatever your personal experience is, what is that like? And, and uh, someone said to me, that's really scary. That's a scary question to ask. And it is, it's scary because, you know, you might get an answer back that you don't want to hear, but I think having the courage to really listen, as you said, and to understand where people are and then to be able to meet them there and and address those issues. So powerful. Thank you.
0: You know, I'll I'll admit something. I, I think that our, maybe it's just America, but I think we're, unfortunately unduly uh, obsessed with entrepreneurship, right? I think many people just kind of idolize Steve Jobs or Elon Musk Mm -hmm. or uh, Richard Branson or Mark Cuban and a lot of energy goes and talking about what does it mean to be a good entrepreneur? How do you be a good entrepreneur? How do you innovate? And, rarely does anyone talk about those entrepreneurial skills needed to lead entrepreneurial teams, you know, the empathy, the people skills, the communication. I'm really glad you brought that out because I think it's so important and I guess not to influence her, but do you think something, there is kind of a, an obsession or some mis what, what it means to really be a successful entrepreneur is, is kind of misunderstood or kind of looked at in the wrong way.
2: I mean, I, I do. I feel like I, you know, it's something that I definitely struggle with. Like, am I good enough to, you know, in comparison to my peers in Silicon Valley? And there seems to be more of like a template approach. Um, And it is interesting. Um, I think everyone struggles in their own way. And and it's just like part of the learning journey. People just go about it in different ways. Um, Right. So, yeah, it is. I mean, you point out something like very insightful, but I do, you know, that does land with me. And I do definitely agree with that.
1: Yeah. When, when Brian and I were talking about Melissa having you on and he'd asked me, you know, what do I think about your leadership qualities? And the first thing that springs to mind to me is humility and being humble. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to, to kind of contrast Brian's point with some others. I think it just shows that (laughs) there are all different styles of leadership that can be very successful. And in fact, Mm -hmm. being humble um, really leads to some strengths, which is, you know, I think it's an natural out, outgrowth of your service to others and your empathy um, it leads to that kind of humility. And, and I think without that, you never would have come up with this solution and you wouldn't be leading your team so effectively today. So I I think it's a really good example of different kinds of leadership can really resonate very well, but I know that's going to embarrass you. So I'll lead into the next thing, which is tell us how we can find you. If people are looking for retail zipline or to learn more, to learn more about you, where can they find you?
2: So um, you can find us at retailzipline.com. Um you can also find me on LinkedIn. So happy to talk, you know, about distributed ways of working if anyone's interested. But yeah, um you can find us there and uh we'll be around.
1: Fantastic, Melissa. It was such a pleasure having you on. Thank you very much.
0: Great. Thank you. And everyone, we will see you for our next conversation. Have a great day. Bye-bye.